This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and this is the Sunday Roundup. With three days' worth of railway disruption looming large this week, the Transport Secretary Grant Shapps joined Sophie Ridge. Shapps denounced the planned strike action, aiming the blame squarely at the leadership of the RMT union. So we now know that next week's strikes will go ahead. What is the impact going to be? I think it's a huge mistake. Um, Unfortunately, uh, the unions, Mick Lynch, the RMT, have been gunning for this strike throughout. Um, Back in April, they called the strike on the false pretense with their members uh, of taking themselves off the pay freeze, which, of course, the whole of the public services had uh, for the past couple of years. Uh, That pay freeze was coming to an end anyway. The strikes are completely unnecessary. It's going to inconvenience millions of people, students doing their GCSEs and A-levels, 17 different public exams, in fact. People trying to get to hospitals to try to uh, get to operations, perhaps that have been postponed during coronavirus. It is disastrous, uh, and it's no way um, to behave on the railway. Uh, there's no advantage uh, to this. Uh, I know that Mick Lynch says he's, uh, quote, nostalgic for union power, but this is no way to behave. Sophie Rayworth also interviewed Chaps, picking him up on last week's call from the RMT for the government to get around the negotiating table. The RMT leader, Mick Lynch, wrote to you just last week. He requested a meeting without delay. He wanted to talk to you. You haven't spoken to him. Why not? So so it is for the employers. That's Network Rail and the railway companies. They're the employers. They're the ones who need to come to a settlement with the unions. Um, I was surprised to receive the letter from Mick Lynch. It happened to be on the day when there was a debate in Parliament uh, because only last month he was saying he would refuse to meet uh, with this uh, government and that you had to understand that negotiations take place with employers. But that, you make it sound, you make words, it sound not, like not you have no role at all in all this. You do. You bankroll the railways, effectively. There are emergency measures that were put in place during the pandemic. Yeah which mean that you set the ceilings. You do have a role in this, and you're yet not getting involved in these talks. In any pay discussion, in any negotiation over uh, terms, over, in this case, modernisation, it's always the employer and the union who need to get together uh, to speak. I can't undermine that. These are complex discussions over about 20 different areas of modernisation. I can't undermine that by suddenly walking into the room and suggesting uh, something completely different. Uh, The unions perfectly well know that those discussions take place with the employer. It's a stunt to suggest otherwise. And I have to say, yesterday afternoon, uh, the RMT walked out to go and attend a TUC rally rather than carry on those conversations, which I you actually deeply want... regret. Keir Starmer says you want these strikes to go ahead because you want to be able to feed off the division. Is he right? In what sort of crazy world would anybody want to see our transport sector come to a, a halt because uh, the RMT go on strike? Uh, that's the first comment that Keir Starmer's made on this uh, uh, hold strike in 11 days. And we discovered today, in fact, that uh, although he wouldn't say anything in Parliament, he wouldn't confirm whether he would condemn the strikes or not, it transpires that he was behind the scenes encouraging the unions to go on strike. That is not leadership from Keir Starmer. Uh, No one wants these strikes to go ahead. I think it's actually pretty offensive to millions of people to suggest that anyone uh, in government would suggest that we should not have people be able to get to their hospital 
uh, operations, not be able to have kids go to do uh, their GCSEs and A-levels. Why would anyone want that? Ridge went on to interview the RMT's leader Mick Lynch shortly after Shaps and asked him to put the case in favour of the strike. You know, for a lot of our viewers, you are the face of the stress, the disruption that they're going to face next week, whether that is you know, children trying to go to exams, whether it's adults trying to get to work or hospital appointments, whether it's people, hundreds of thousands of people trying to go to Glastonbury. What would you say to them? Well, we don't want to be the cause of the disruption in people's lives. We want a settlement to this dispute, but we're facing a crisis for our members. We're faced with thousands of job cuts, despite what Grant Shapp says. There's been no uh, guarantee that these redundancies won't be compulsory. We've seen uh, four or 5,000 jobs already go from the railway. They've told our maintenance staff uh, on, rail, on network rail that their 3,000 jobs will go. They're cut, going to cut back on the safety regime. They've told us that every single booking office in Britain will close. They've told us that they're going to extend the working week from 35 hours to 40 or possibly 44. And for new entrants, that will mean lower wages. So they're actually proposing pay cuts, not a pay rise, and an increase in working time on the railway. And if that's the way the rest of the society is going to go, that you have to work more hours for less money, we've got a real crisis in this country because it means they're trying to restore profit in a way that makes workers pay for that uh, through their pay, pay bills and through their uh, wage slips and through the amount of time they're going to spend in the workplace. Which pressed Lynch on whether his union would be causing more disruption if a settlement was not reached at the end of this week. Could we see more strikes over the summer? And, and what kind of consequences could they have? Grant Shapps are saying that, look, fright will still be running. We're not in a situation where, you know, the lights could go out. Is he right? Well, I don't want the lights to go out. Nobody from my side of the, of the situation has said the lights will go out. We know they will run a train service using replacement labour, many of whom are unqualified to do the work and have had very short... Uh, two or three hour training programs to, we could to do see safety critical multiple work. Multiple strikes throughout there, the rest of the If year. there's not a settlement, we will continue our campaign. I know that the ASLEF uh, and other union is balloting their members and their returns on July the 11th. The TSSA, which is largely a management union in the railway, is also balloting their members in Network Rail and in many of the train operating companies. It's likely that Unite, that has some engineering members in the railway, will also ballot. But I think there are going to be many unions balloting uh, across the country because people can't take it anymore. We've got people who are, who are doing full-time jobs who are having to take state benefits and use food banks. That is a national disgrace. And Grant Shapps is fairly blasé about that. He's claiming that everybody on the railway is overpaid and sitting around doing nothing. Our members, the median wage in this dispute is £31,000. Many of the people on strike next week are earning as low as 18000 and typically many of them are earning in the mid-20s for full-time jobs working shifts around the clock. You think this is a class struggle, class war? Well, it's a class aspect to everything in the economy. There are lower-paid people and there are wealthy people in this society. And what's wrong in this society is that there is an imbalance between the people that do the work to keep this country going, who create the wealth of our civilization and don't get a fair share of that wealth because it's going to people who are vastly wealthy. Turning to other matters, Rayworth spoke to the Taoiseach, Michael Martin, asking him about the UK government's latest plans for resolving the issues created by the Northern Ireland Protocol. Now, the UK is suggesting red and green lanes to remove costs and paperwork on goods moving within the UK 
but preserving full checks on goods entering the EU via Northern Ireland. What is wrong with that idea? Well, first of all, uh, the, the unilateral decision of the British government to bring in legislation to undermine or to give the power to undermine almost all aspects of the protocol uh, is not acceptable. Uh, it represents unilateralism of the worst kind in terms of honouring and adhere, adhering to international agreements that governments uh, adhere to and sign up to and ratify in their parliaments. Uh, the, we, we, we accept fully there are legitimate issues around the operation of the protocol, and we believe with serious sustained negotiations between the European Union and the United Kingdom government, those issues could be uh, resolved. But what I would say is that the legislation that is published does much more than you are suggesting, because uh, it effectively uh, would be severely damaging to the Northern Ireland economy, particularly in the context of the dual regulatory standards approach now being put forward by the British government, uh, which is deeply concerning to industry and to businesses in Northern Ireland, and in effect represents a form of economic vandalism on Northern Ireland, because if you look, any objective data is now showing that Northern Ireland economy is doing very well. Uh, manufacturing is doing very well. The dairy industry, the meat industry, the food industry generally in agriculture is doing very well. There are certain areas uh, where we can improve the protocol, uh, and we should continue to do that. And finally, the Shadow Leveling Up Secretary Lisa Nandy defended her leader Keir Starmer against the accusation that he was too dull for Downing Street. There's been a lot of focus this week, hasn't there, on Keir Starmer and his personality. Some of your Shadow Cabinet uh, colleagues quoted as saying that he's boring people to death. Can a boring man become the Prime Minister of the UK? I don't think it's boring to want to abide by the rules that you set. To make, to make the rules break the rules, laugh about it and lie about it is what we've got at the moment. I would find it deeply exciting to have a Prime Minister who is prepared to act with honour and integrity and abide by the rules that he himself had made. And we're here in Warwick today saying we're going to smash up a century of centralisation in order to get power back into local hands. We've done it before when we were last in government <coughs> in Grimsby. We brought wind energy to, to the people of Grimsby. In uh, Rotherham, we brought advanced manufacturing... If we get power into the right hands, we could rebuild this country the only way that we can from the ground up. That's not boring. That's the future of Britain. That's all for this week. I'm Isabel Hardman and this podcast was produced by Matthew Taylor. Don't forget to subscribe to the Coffee House Shots podcast on the iTunes store. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do subscribe to our daily Evening Blend email. It's a free roundup of all the political news each day, along with analysis and a diary on what to expect next. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash blend. Thanks for listening and do join us again next week. <laughs>